The New Testament reading for today is Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. The Old Testament reading and our sermon text for today is Exodus 6, 1 through 13. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. This should sound familiar. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let us go now to our sermon text for today, Exodus 6, verses 1 through 13. If you remember in the context, Moses was having um, a bit of a, a crisis, a crisis of faith. After Pharaoh responded so harshly to his request to let God's people go. And so Moses did speak to the Lord and question the Lord. But here in verse 1 of chapter 6 we read, But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out. And with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord, Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but, but, but by my name, the Lord, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, Yahweh, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord, Yahweh, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians." I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord, Yahweh. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh king of Egypt to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I, have, I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. So far the reading of God's most holy word. May he add his blessing to the preaching of it this morning. In the Exodus event, many things were accomplished. Uh, most obviously, the Hebrews were set free from their burdens as God overpowered the Egyptians. But I've been trying to convince you that there is more to the story. Not only did God act in the Exodus, He also spoke. Not only did He redeem Israel, He also 
revealed himself to them and, and also to us. Uh, one thing I've tried to convince you of is that the Exodus was a picture of the redemption that Christ has accomplished. Israel was delivered from Egyptian bondage and became a holy nation in the land of promise. All of that was earthly and temporary. But in Christ, we've been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of His beloved Son. That is Colossians 1.13. This is spiritual, heavenly, and eternal. So then the first exodus accomplished through Moses was a picture of the second and greater exodus accomplished by Christ. And that is what I mean when I say that the exodus was not only a redemptive act, it was also an act of, of revelation. Not, not only did God act, He also spoke. Uh, the exodus revealed through types and shadows something about what would be accomplished later by the Messiah. I've also said that the Exodus revealed God's just judgments and His mercy. In the Exodus, God poured out His wrath upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians, but He showed great mercy to the Hebrews. So then, in this historical act, the glory of God was put on display. His power was shown. His judgments were administered for the whole world to see. And so, too, His mercy. He was kind to the Hebrews. He knew their suffering. He rescued them, not because they were worthy, but because He determined to set His favor upon them. In fact, this right of God to sovereignly administer His justice and His mercy is central to the Exodus story. It's at the very heart of it. God was showing in those days that He is sovereign over all and He has the right to show mercy to whomever He wills to show mercy and to pour out His judgments also. God is so sovereign over all of this. We, we've already encountered this theme, and it's going to emerge over and over again in the Exodus story. It, it reaches its apex in Exodus 33 in that scene where Moses spoke to the Lord on the mountain saying, Please show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, that is Yahweh, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy, that is Exodus thirty-three eighteen through 19. This right of God to show mercy and grace to whomever He wills is here attached to the name Yahweh. This is what the Apostle draws our attention to in Romans 9. There Paul teaches about God's right to show mercy to whomever He wills. And he cites this passage that I have just read. He, he wants us to know that Yahweh has this right to show mercy to whomever He wills and to pour out His just judgments on the ungodly. The point I'm making is that this doctrine regarding God's absolute sovereignty over all things, including judgment and mercy, was not merely taught in the Exodus, it was put on full display. God demonstrated this right when He hardened Pharaoh's heart in the just judgments that He poured out upon the Egyptians and in the undeserved kindness shown to the Hebrews to deliver them from bondage and lead them toward the promised land. This doctrine was not merely taught, but it was shown. God demonstrated that He had this power, that He had this right to show mercy to whomever He wills. 
This morning I wish to draw your attention to yet another truth about God revealed in the Exodus event. And the truth is this, the Lord, Yahweh, is faithful to keep His covenant promises. In the Hebrews 10 passage we read just a moment ago, we also read it as the call to worship, so you've gotten a double dose of it already. We heard this exhortation, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. God is faithful. He keeps His covenant promises. And there are many passages of Scripture that teach this, but I'm saying that the Exodus event was a demonstration of this truth. God did not merely say with words, I am faithful. No, in those days, He said, I am faithful with action. He demonstrated His faithfulness to Moses and to the Hebrews and to all who looked in upon this great act of deliverance. As we transition now to our text for today, let us briefly recall how we got here. Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh, just as God had commanded them to do, and they said what God commanded them to say. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. That is Exodus 5.1. But Pharaoh would not listen. Instead, he responded by placing an even heavier burden upon the already overwhelmed Hebrews. The Hebrews were crushed. And Moses, we saw, was greatly discouraged too. Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. That was Moses' response to, to God after Pharaoh hardened his heart and oppressed the Hebrews even further. The passage we are considering today is the Lord's response to Moses. It's a, it's a very great response. And we see a number of things here in this passage. First of all, we see that the Lord simply reiterated to Moses His present commitment to set the Hebrews free. This is how the Lord encouraged Moses, by reiterating His present commitment to set the Hebrews free. Verse 1, But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. The words, now you shall see, are significant. They support what I was saying just a moment ago concerning the Exodus being a demonstration of the power and glory of God. Now you shall see, God says to Moses, everyone, Moses, the Hebrews, Pharaoh, the Egyptians, indeed the whole world would see, they would witness God's power displayed in the Exodus event. The words, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land, refer to Pharaoh. Uh, Moses knew how strong Pharaoh was, but here God reassures Moses that Pharaoh's strength was not a problem for him. God would actually move Pharaoh to drive the Hebrews out of the land, even while retaining his political and military might. It really is a phenomenal story. Pharaoh would decide to drive the Hebrews out of the land having been so humbled by these great plagues that would be poured out upon him. So those who know the Exodus story know that this is precisely what happened. Pharaoh would drive the Hebrews out of his land. And I would like for you to consider this. Put yourself in Moses' shoes for just a moment. There was absolutely no way that Moses understood how this could be at this stage in the story. Here God is re-upping on his commitment. I, 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 will, I will do this. And in fact, 
Pharaoh is going to send the people away, even though his hand is still strong. Uh, Moses must have heard those words thinking, okay, I hear you, Lord, but I cannot even begin to comprehend how you will do this. How will you accomplish it? It's a mystery to me, Moses must have thought. And perhaps you have experienced something like this before. Perhaps you're experiencing it now. You look to the future and you just don't see a way out of your present circumstance. You don't see any possible solutions to the problem that you're facing. Nevertheless, we must trust that God is faithful. This is what Moses needed to do in that moment. He must have known that God is faithful. Uh, this was what he needed to believe with all of his heart. Perhaps the most important thing to notice about verse 1 and the verses that follow is that God did not provide an answer to Moses' questions. Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? Moses asked. The Lord did not explain himself to Moses, but in essence said, wait, watch, and see, Moses. Just wait, watch, and see. He re-ups his present commitment. He doesn't answer his questions, but in essence says, wait, watch, and see what I will do. In other words, the Lord did not answer Moses in that moment with words. Instead, he would answer Moses with the passing of time and with action. And sometimes we never get answers to our why questions. This is because there are some insights that belong to the Lord and they are not for us. Uh, this is what Moses says in Deuteronomy 29, 29, where he writes, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. I love that verse. This is Moses acknowledging to the people of Israel that there are some things that are just hidden. From us. They are the secret things. Who do they belong to? They belong to the Lord only. Uh, and we will never have the answers to these secret and mysterious things. There are some questions that just fall into that category. They belong to the Lord. But Moses also emphasizes here in Deuteronomy 29, 29, that there are some things that do belong to us. These are the things that the Lord has revealed to us and to our children. These are the commandments of the Lord. God's will is revealed in the pages of Holy Scripture, some of it at least. And we are to pay attention to that and be careful to do what God has commanded, all the while being content to leave those things that belong to the Lord to the Lord. They are His. So we must take comfort in this. And certainly Moses was learning this lesson, which he would later write about in this moment. Why, Lord, have you done this why have you brought this evil upon this people? Why have you called me at all? It was a great mystery to Moses in that moment, but God says to Moses, watch and see. I'm still committed to bring deliverance, uh, Moses, to this people. After the Lord re-ups with Moses concerning his present commitment in verse 1, he then reminds Moses of his past covenant promises in verses 2 through 5. I'll read these verses again. They are so precious. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. If you're thinking this sounds familiar, uh, there are two reasons one, I did touch upon this text 
a little bit in a previous sermon. I, I got ahead of myself. I felt something here needed to be addressed in a previous sermon. So you've heard something on these verses before. But more importantly, the book of Exodus is repetitive. This is not the first time that mention has been made of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and of the covenant that God made with them. Here the Lord reminds Moses of the promises that he made in the past. And Moses needed to be reminded of these promises of God. You and I need to be reminded of them too. And I might say by way of passing application here, do not grow weary, brothers and sisters, of hearing the same message over and over again. It is very good for the people of God to hear the gospel over and over again so that our faith might be strengthened and so that we might learn to apply the truths of the gospel more thoroughly to each and every circumstance of life. The gospel does not change. It's a simple message that needs to be preached continuously. But as we grow in Christ, we must learn to apply the truths of the gospel to every circumstance of life. The gospel, that is the good news that Christ has accomplished salvation in fulfillment of the promises of God previously made, and that the forgiveness of sins and the hope of life everlasting is available through faith in Him, uh, that message should never grow old to us. We should long to hear it again and again so that we might continue to believe. And as we contemplate the gospel, we must strive to order every aspect of our lives accordingly. The gospel of Jesus Christ is to shape our thoughts. It's to shape our emotions, our appetites, our actions. We need to be reminded of it continuously. And, and Moses needed this reminder. He needed to be reminded of the precious and very great promises that God had made in generations past, for he was wavering in this moment. And you and I need to be reminded of the gospel of Jesus Christ day by day, and especially each Lord's Day as we assemble together, as we hear the word of God proclaimed, and as we see the gospel put on display in the sacrament. So let us carefully consider the reminder that Moses received. God spoke to him saying, I am the Lord, that is, I am Yahweh. This is not the first time they had met, remember. So this is a reminder Perhaps you'll remember the passing observation that I made last Sunday. When Moses turned to the Lord in his despair, he did not refer to him as Yahweh, but called him Adonai. Do you remember that passing observation? Here Moses is overwhelmed with, with despair, with disappointment, and he turns to the Lord, which was the right thing for him to do. Uh, but it is telling. He does not call out to him as Yahweh. He calls out to him as Adonai, which is a more generic uh, title for, for God, simply meaning Lord or Master. You can see that there in 522. And of course, it was not wrong for Moses to cry out to God by this name. But given the context, his choice of this name over Yahweh is certainly significant. It wasn't long ago that, that the Lord appeared to Moses in that, that burning bush and said, this is my name, I'm to be remembered by this name, Yahweh. It would be kind of like us uh, choosing the title God over the name Father in a time of crisis. Do, do you understand this? In a time of crisis, if we are calling out to, to the Lord, what name should we call him by? I think 
the name Father is probably most fitting because there we are uh, pleading to the one who, who has received us, to the one who is committed to care for us, to the one who has set his love upon us. This name Father uh, is to bring all of those things to mind. But if we call out to God as God merely, even this generic title, perhaps we are forgetting about something uh, very important, uh, namely all that the name Father signifies. I think something like that is going on here. Moses turns to, to God and, and says, Adonai, he refers to him with this more generic name, uh, Lord. Uh, but the Lord had already revealed the name Yahweh to him. It's as if Moses had forgotten. He was now doubting all this revelation that he had just received. He was forgetting who it was that he was addressing in this time of crisis. The Lord continues saying, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. So, so you see that God is pressing the point with Moses now. Moses says, Adonai. God says, let me remind you of something, Moses. I am Yahweh, and let me tell you a little bit more about this name. I did not reveal myself by this name to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They knew me as El Shaddai, as, as God Most High. If you remember... We've already touched upon this verse. It's a perplexing little statement that God had not revealed himself by this name Yahweh to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's a perplexing statement because the name Yahweh is found throughout the book of Genesis. It's often found on the lips of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Clearly, the name Yahweh was known to them, for they addressed God with it. What then is meant by the words, I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. As I have said before, I think the meaning is this. Though Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew the name Yahweh, it was on their lips, in other words, they pronounced it, the full meaning or significance of the name was not revealed to them it was not revealed at all until it was given to Moses as God spoke to him out of that bush that was burning yet not consumed. As Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob addressed God as Yahweh, they thought of him as El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. To them, Yahweh meant God Almighty. But as Moses and all of God's people after him addressed God as Yahweh, they were to think of him not merely as God Almighty, but as the great I am, they were to think of him, as we are to this present day, as the self-existing, eternal, and unchanging God who not only makes covenant promises, but also keeps them. This is what the name Yahweh came to signify after God revealed the meaning of his name more fully to Moses out of that bush that was burning, yet not consumed. Is that all clear to you? concerning the, the meaning of this perplexing little verse here. Um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob called God Yahweh. Moses was to call him Yahweh too. What's the difference? More significance was given to that name in the days of Moses as God revealed his name to him out of that bush that was burning, yet not consumed. Another way to explain this would be to say that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew Yahweh as the covenant-making God. God entered into a covenant with Abraham, remember. But Moses and the Hebrews, from his day onward, 
would know Yahweh as the covenant-keeping God. In other words, God made promises to Abraham, but in the days of Moses, those promises would be kept. They would be fulfilled. And you know this to be true. It's one thing to make promises. It's an entirely different thing to keep them. And those who keep their promises are rightly called faithful. They are faithful. And in brief, this is what was revealed in the days of Moses through the Exodus event. Yahweh is faithful. He is not only the covenant-making God, that was known in Abraham's day and onward, He is also the covenant-keeping God. He will keep all of His promises. He will be faithful to do what He has said. Notice, this is precisely what God says to Moses in verses 4 and 5. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan. So when was this covenant regarding the Hebrews possessing Canaan? When was it made? When was it established? In the days of Abraham. It was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who held on to these promises that were given to them. I established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. This is a way of saying, I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that I would give them Canaan. Now I'm going to keep that promise. That is what I have remembered my covenant means. It's not that God forgot and said, oh yeah, I remember No, I have remembered my covenant means I am determining to act now, that is to fulfill the promises previously made. And I do suppose that this is, in a roundabout sort of way, an answer to Moses' question, why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. This is a a roundabout way of answering that question. Not direct, but a roundabout way. God's answer was essentially this, Moses, this isn't the end of the story. What you have experienced now, you now, Moses, having been rejected by the Pharaoh and, and Pharaoh responding with an even heavier hand, this trial that you are now in the midst of, this is not the end of the story. Uh, Moses, God says, my paraphrase of him, if it were the end, then your complaint would be valid. But this isn't the end. This is but one part of a long journey. So wait and see. I am about to act now to keep the promises that I made to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. Wait and see. And you want to know something, brothers and sisters. This will be the answer to most, if not all, of our why questions in this life. Have you ever seen that to be true yourself? Lord, why this suffering? Why this trial? Sometimes we can see the reasons for it. Sometimes we could guess at the reasons for the trial. Why this tragedy? We must always remember that this isn't the end of the story, but that God is presently working all things together for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to His purpose. Romans 8, 28. Or to quote Paul in another place, we must remember that these light momentary afflictions, I I almost chuckle when I hear Paul talk about these light momentary afflictions. If you know anything about the life of Paul, you know that he suffered greatly. But his perspective was this. These are are nothing. These are light momentary afflictions. Oh, 
oh yes, uh, being stoned nearly to death, shipwrecked, and all the rest, imprisoned, eventually beheaded. Um, these light momentary afflictions are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That was Paul's perspective here. Uh, it's another way of saying we must always remember that this isn't the end of the story. This is just one little part of, of a, much, a much larger journey. Uh, and, and that God is, in fact, going to keep his promises and bring us safely home into the new heavens and new earth. Moses needed to remember that in this moment. He hit a bump in the road. Pharaoh didn't let the people go. God warned him about it, after all. But Pharaoh wouldn't let them go. He, he responded with harshness. He oppressed the Hebrews even further. But here we see that God is saying, I'm still here. I'm still committed to do this. And don't forget the promises that I've made to the patriarchs in times past. I'm about to act. I'm about to keep those promises. Do not forget, I am the Lord. I am not only the one who makes covenant promises. I also keep them for I am faithful. I am faithful. So then, we see that God responded to Moses, one, by reiterating his present commitment, two, by reminding Moses of his past covenant promises, now three, the Lord also reassured Moses that he would be faithful in the future. This is found in, verses, in verse six. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. Notice how repetitive this is, this this perpetual emphasis upon the name Yahweh. I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Here we find three I will statements pertaining to the deliverance of the Hebrews. As I read them again, be thinking about the deliverance that Christ has accomplished for us. These things correspond to one another. God says to Moses, I will, I will, I will, pertaining to the deliverance that, that he would work for the Hebrews to rescue them out of Egyptian bondage. But think of our redemption in Christ. As I've said before, this was a picture of that. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will, I will, I will. I'll liberate you. I'll rescue you. I'll deliver you from this slavery and harsh oppression. In verse 7, we find two more I will statements. And these have to do with adoption. So the first three had to do with deliverance from something. The second two, the, the next two I will statements have to do with adoption. Here, Exodus 6, 7. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. So then God would rescue the Hebrews in order to have them as his special people, and to be unto them their God. This also should remind us of our salvation in Christ, for we have been rescued from bondage to Satan's sin and the fear of death, to have God as our Father and to be His beloved children by way of spiritual 
adoption. In verse 8, we find two more I will statements, bringing the total to seven, which is the number of perfection. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. I am the faithful one, the covenant-making, even more importantly, I think, the covenant-keeping God. I am the Lord. Here God reiterates His commitment to bring Israel into the promised land. This also mirrors our salvation in Christ. We have been delivered from the domain of darkness to have God as Father and to be His beloved children. And we have this sure inheritance, this sure hope, this sure expectation the new heavens and earth in which righteousness dwells. This is the true and everlasting promised land. So these seven I will statements all had to do with the future for Moses. The Lord was insistent that he would be faithful to rescue Israel, to be their God, and to bring them safely into the land. Do you see how kind and patient God was with Moses? this leader that he had called, this leader that he had set apart. God was very kind. God was very patient with Moses. In fact, I almost went in this direction with this sermon. Instead of placing the emphasis upon God's covenant faithfulness as I've done, I was tempted to put the emphasis upon his tenderness, upon his mercy, his compassion, his patience. I, I think I put the emphasis on the right thing, for this passage is truly about God's covenant faithfulness. But the Lord's mercy is certainly on display here in this text. We see that Moses was floundering terribly, but God was patient and kind to remind him of past promises and to reassure him that he would certainly do all that he had said. Psalm 103 picks up on this theme when it says, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Psalm 103 uh, is worth our consideration, I think. Uh, Notice the emphasis placed here as the psalmist speaks of the Exodus event. He draws our attention to the fact that in the days of Moses, God made known His acts to the people of Israel. Again, it's not just act, but it's revelation too. Something is being made known. And what is one of the main things being made known? It is that the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We're going to see that displayed throughout the book of Exodus and even on into the rest of the Pentateuch as the people of Israel flounder in faith as they struggle, as they rebel, as they disobey, as they fall into idolatry almost as quickly as they were brought out of Egypt. There they are worshiping a golden calf. But here we see God's graciousness, His patience, His steadfast love shown to Moses the man. Moses, this leader that he had set apart, he's floundering so badly, but God comes alongside him and speaks tenderly to him to remind him of precious and very great promises made in ages past to remind him that he was presently committed to to bringing these things to past even, even now and that he would be with him and with Israel on into the future. This is what Moses needed. The Lord was kind 
to minister to him in his weakness by reassuring him that he would be faithful to keep his promises. Don't you need that from time to time, brothers and sisters? I know that you do. You get beat down by life. The trials and tribulations begin to get to you. You start to wonder, where is God? Has he forgotten his promises? Has he forgotten me? Has he left me? You need to hear it again and again. No, he is a faithful God who not only makes promises, he keeps them. He is with us always. He will see us through to the end. This set Moses back on the right track. Not perfectly so, but Moses did at this moment cease from wavering. He began to trust again that he who promised was faithful. And this is seen in verse 9 where we read, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel. So he, he got back to work as, as a prophet, in other words. But we read in verse 9, they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. With the exception of Aaron, Moses stood all alone, and he felt very inadequate. Verse 10, so the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips." Notice that Moses has ceased questioning God's plan. The question is no longer, why have you done this? Why have you sent me? Uh, no longer is he asking those kinds of questions, but he is still questioning his own abilities. Moses would need to learn to trust the Lord in all things, yes, even to overcome his own personal weaknesses and limitations. And that does seem to be the point. Moses was weak. He highlights that fact again and again in the story that he tells. Who wrote this book? Remember, it was Moses who wrote it. And yet constant emphasis is being made concerning Moses' own weaknesses. He's drawing the attention to it himself as the author of this book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Moses was weak. He was knocked back on his heels by Pharaoh's initial response. He floundered in the faith. He wavered. And he was continuously plagued by a sense of personal inadequacy. The phrase, I am of uncircumcised lips, is an interesting one. It will appear again in verse 30 of chapter 6, where we read, But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? And by this, Moses means that he was not skilled with his words. He didn't talk very well, in other words. He, he wasn't persuasive. And this same insecurity came up when God first called him in 410. Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. And that is what is meant by the saying, I am of uncircumcised lips. But the word is uncircumcised. And I cannot help but think again of that story regarding the uncircumcision of Gershom, Moses' son. Do you remember that little episode? Uh, that I drew your attention to last Sunday. And so there's just this unusual amount of uh, the use of the word uncircumcised in this whole passage. Gershom was uncircumcised, and Moses says twice that he is of uncircumcised lips. What, what is this all about? There seems to be a theme. And the theme is that Moses was inadequate, he was unworthy, but God had determined to accomplish his purposes through him nonetheless. 
all of this mercy, all of this favor shown to Moses and to the Hebrews, it wasn't because of something in them that was deserving. Uh, they were uncircumcised, as it were, uh, metaphorically speaking. They were not deserving. But God was doing something very gracious and kind in these days. So the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. So he charges Moses again. Now, I've hinted at suggestions for application throughout this sermon today, but please allow me to conclude with three specific suggestions for application. One, brothers and sisters, I would exhort you to grow in your understanding of the covenants that God has made with man. So this application has to do with learning. I would exhort you to grow in your understanding of the covenants that God has made with man. These covenants that I'm here referring to, these biblical covenants, which are declarations of God's sovereign pleasure concerning the benefits He will bestow on man, the communion they will have with Him, and the way and means by which this will be enjoyed by them, function as the backbone, if you will, of the story of redemption that is found in Holy Scripture. In other words, you will not understand the message of the Bible very well apart from an understanding of the covenants that God has made with man. You should know about the covenants that God made with Adam, with Abraham, and with Christ. And this will help you to understand what was going on in the days of Moses. And it will especially help you to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and what is required of you to partake of the blessing of the new covenant which was ratified through His shed blood. Really, it all comes down to these covenants. How are we to relate to God? It comes down to the covenants. What does He require of us? Questions like this come down to, to the covenant that we are we are under. These covenants are truly the backbone. We need to especially know about the covenants made with Adam, Abraham, and Christ. And the covenant made with Abraham will help us to better understand the covenants made with Moses and David as well, transacted in those days. And so we need to learn about these covenants. It will especially help you to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and what is required of you to partake of the blessings of the new covenant ratified through His shed blood. We just completed a 21-lesson study on the covenants in Sunday school. That study is archived on our website. It's called Covenant Theology, the Mystery of Christ, His Covenant, and His Kingdom. I'd highly recommend uh, that you go back and listen to it if you missed that class. Uh, go listen to those lessons very carefully. Understanding the covenants will help you understand why Reference is being made again and again back to the covenant promises entrusted to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It comes up over and over again at the beginning of the book of Exodus. Moses is constantly being reminded of the promises given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What we see here is that whatever God was doing with Israel in the days of Moses, it was rooted in the Abrahamic covenant. When God rescued Israel from Egypt, Egypt and sent them towards the land of promise. He was fulfilling promises previously made. And the same must be said of Christ. His person and work were in fulfillment to covenant promises previously made. He came to fulfill promises made in the days of Abraham. 
his person and work were, were in fulfillment to these things. So the first point of application is to encourage you to study, brothers and sisters. Study the covenant so that you might gain a better understanding of the story of redemption that is told in Scripture and also the gospel of Jesus Christ. Two, when you are overwhelmed with life, do not forget to reflect on God's past promises and His faithfulness to keep those promises in previous generations. Yahweh has demonstrated His faithfulness. That is the point. He has not only said, I'm faithful. He has shown Himself to be faithful in generations past. He promised to redeem Israel and to bring them into Canaan, and He did it. That is the point. He did it. More than this, He promised to bring the Messiah into the world through Israel, one who would suffer, die, and rise again, and He did it. He accomplished this great act of redemption. Yahweh is faithful. He has demonstrated it to us throughout history. Not only has He demonstrated His faithfulness in these great promises fulfilled in great acts of redemption, He has also demonstrated His faithfulness in your personal past as well. God is ever faithful. God is ever true. Therefore, He is worthy of our trust. Three, do not neglect to reflect upon the precious and very great promises that are ours in Christ through the new covenant ratified in His blood. The children of Abraham were promised redemption from Egypt, that they would be God's special people in a land flowing with milk and honey. But the new covenant promises are so much greater. Under the new covenant, we are promised deliverance from Satan's domain, the forgiveness of our sins, the adoption of sons, and life eternal, and the new heavens, and the new earth. These are the promises attached to the new covenant, that is to say, the covenant of grace. And so this is the hope that we are to have in Christ Jesus, the new heavens and new earth, life eternal with God because our sins have been washed away. And this is the hope that the writer to the Hebrews refers to when he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. What hope? Hope in what? Hope in these precious and very great promises. For he who promised is faithful, the writer to the Hebrews says. And so, brothers and sisters, let us be sure to do that very thing, to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. In order to do so, we must know for certain and beyond doubt that He who promised is faithful. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we do know that there are certain things that will remain mysterious to us, perhaps forever. Um, there are some things that simply belong to you, O oh God. Help us to be content with that, especially as we endure trials and tribulations of various kinds here in this life. We might ask you why, O oh Lord, and not be given specific answers to those questions. But we do thank you for what you have revealed to us. We know that these things belong to us and to our children. We are to believe them. We are to live according to these truths. In particular, this morning, O oh God, we thank you for the revelation of your faithfulness to us. We can see clearly that you have made promises and you have kept them. So God, help us to know for certain that you will do the same 
for all who are in Christ Jesus, that you will certainly do all that you have promised. We thank you for Christ, for his finished work. We thank you for Christ, for our union with him, for our adoption as sons and daughters. We thank you for Christ and for the inheritance that, are, that is ours through faith in him. Oh God, help us to hold fast to this confession. Help us to hold fast to this hope without wavering. We love you, O oh Lord. We thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness to us. In Christ's name we pray.